0: Well, good morning Belfast City Vineyard and friends and family who are joining us in various places in the world. My name is Harmony. I'm really delighted to get to spend some time with you all here in our online service today. So, before we dive into the Gospel of Mark, I want to highlight a resource that I found that I really love. Andy often shows up with book recommendations, right? But I want to plug an audio version of the Bible, which is scripture set to a beat or background music. Some of you are maybe skeptical, but honestly, it's really cool. You can find it on Spotify, you can download the app, or go to streetlightsbible.com. When I was out for a walk recently, I did five chapters of the Gospel of Mark in half an hour just walking. So if you're someone that listens to podcasts or audiobooks or someone who concentrates better when there's a backing track, this little app has got your name on it. So there's my plug. Now on to our message. For those of us who those of you who are just joining us, we are in the book of Mark. And I love how Sarah put it last week. She said, the book of Mark wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. As a community, we love the Word of God, and we believe it's really important for us not just to pull bits out of the Bible that we already love and already resonate with us, but actually to make our way through a book of the Bible and to even wrestle with the things that we don't get, the things that we don't really like or understand. So today we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 45. Mark is an action-packed, fast-paced book, and in this section there are essentially three stories. Or to use our modern lingo, let's say that there are three short episodes, like think of three short, punchy episodes in your favorite Netflix series. What we're going to observe in this passage is a pattern that will be repeated again and again throughout the Gospel of Mark. This pattern is an important key for us in understanding not only Jesus' ministry, but our own lives and our ministry as well. So let's read the passage, our three episodes, and then let's see if we can spot the pattern. As soon as they left the synagogue. They went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place, where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you! Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come." So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning, See that you don't tell this to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing, as a testimony to them." Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So we see Jesus in the first episode, verses 29 to 34, in action healing many people including simon's mother-in-law and then in verse 35 or episode 2 as i'm calling it jesus is retreating to a solitary place to pray and lastly in episode 3 so from verse 39 onward he is back on the road and ends up healing a man with leprosy it's action and retreat engagement and withdrawal some of you might be familiar with the story of John Wimber, one of the founders of the Vineyard, who was a compelling communicator and a great storyteller. He tells the story of beginning to attend church for the first time. He had been reading the New Testament, and so he started asking people, when do we get to do the stuff? By that he meant the stuff that he was seeing in Jesus's ministry and in the early church. When do we get to do the stuff, was how he put it to the leaders in that church. They replied by saying you don't have to do the stuff you just have to believe the stuff happened once maybe we come from a tradition or a mindset like that where sitting in meetings in church is the pinnacle of our christian experience john wimber actually takes it a step further in this conversation his response as someone who came to faith as an adult was this well When I worked for the devil, he let me do his stuff. But when I came to work for Jesus, they didn't let me do his stuff. But I joined up to do the stuff. He goes on to say someone somewhere has got to start believing this book and acting on it. He said it's not believing this stuff that's going to change the world. It's doing it. And in his typically matter of fact way, he concludes by saying, and I figure it might as well be us. In this passage in Mark, we see Jesus doing the stuff, and it's powerful stuff that he is doing. Let's look at some of the stuff that he does. So in our first episode, we see Jesus healing Simon's mother-in-law of a fever. Mark tells us she's completely healed to the point that she gets up and gets to work. Just as an aside, that phrase, to wait on, where it says she got up and she waited on them, In case that rubbed any of us women the wrong way, that is the same word in the Greek that is used to describe when angels attended to Jesus. Hopefully that makes us feel a little bit better. Anyway, word gets out that she was healed and a crowd starts to gather at the house. It says the whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. We don't know the numbers, the exact numbers of healings and deliverances, but it does sound like there was an awful lot and lots of power to heal. And then we see Jesus doing more stuff in episode 3, starting in verse 39. He traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And then we have this really moving encounter with a leper. To be a leper was to be an outcast in their society, you were considered unclean. And therefore, as well as having this horrendous physical condition, you were essentially permanently quarantined from the rest of society. Most of us barely made it through the COVID lockdown in terms of quarantine for a couple of months, never mind a whole life sentence that this poor man endured. So in verse 40, we see a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reaches out his hand and touches the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Touching a leper was an outrageous thing to do. In this culture, touching a leper would have made you unclean. I love how Steve Cuss, author and speaker, says, Jesus forever changed the perception of infection and sin transfer when Jesus, the healthy, holy man, touched the sick. And when he lived in close proximity to sinners, he infected them. Instead of Jesus becoming sick or sinful, the people became clean. This is so radical and so compelling that even though Jesus has just done the unthinkable. And even though it must have been a total head melter for people that someone would touch a leper like that, people just kept coming and coming in their droves to find Jesus anyway. So even in these few brief episodes, we see a lot of supernatural power. Where did the power come from to work all of these miracles? Let's come back to the pattern we mentioned at the start and episode two, which is nestled between all these spectacular healings. Verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Very early in the morning, that is enough to send chills down many of our spines. Some of us are morning people and some of us are definitely, definitely not. In Greek, the word for solitary place is the same word, actually, as a wilderness. The word used where John the Baptist preached and where Jesus was tempted. Perhaps you remember in one of the earlier messages on Mark, Andy talked about the wilderness and he talked about how sometimes the Father invites us into the wilderness. Jesus doesn't get up at the crack of dawn because he feels guilty that he should have a quiet time or because he wants to be a good Christian. He gets up early to spend time with his Heavenly Father, to respond to that invitation from his Father to pray. As we'll see throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus does this regularly. And while there's definitely an element of mystery around what was actually happening during these times of prayer, I mean, don't you wonder what were they talking about? What was Jesus saying to the Father? What was he saying back to him? There definitely is mystery around that. I also think that we can see a pattern here, and that is that engagement and withdrawal, and that there is a correlation between the powerful miracles, the healings, the signs and the wonders, and then that time away from all that action. Not in prayer with his disciples in a group or at the synagogue, but on his own in that solitary place in the wilderness with his Father. My hunch is that this was a time where Jesus had his own needs met, where he received from the Father, His identity as a son of God was reinforced and strengthened. And let's remember that at Jesus's baptism only a few verses ago, the Father affirmed Jesus as his beloved son. Before he had begun his ministry, before Jesus did all the stuff, the Father declared that he was his beloved son. I think that's one of the things that was happening in that time of prayer. Jesus is being reminded of who he is. Do you know that you are God's beloved son or daughter before you do any of this stuff? That your standing with Him is not contingent upon the things that you do, even the things that you do for Him. We don't come away with Jesus or with our Father in heaven because He needs us to. We come away with Him because we need it. We need that time of personal prayer. And we get from that time what Jesus received, a reaffirmation of our identities as beloved children of God. We are known by the Father and we get to know Him as well, His heart, His character, His ways. We learn to listen as well as talk to God. In this church, we talk an awful lot about intimacy with Jesus, spending time with God. And maybe you have no idea how to do any of that how to do this praying thing. Well, there's lots of people and resources here in this church to help you not only get started on that journey, but to help you to continue to grow. You'll find information on resources and events and courses like the Following Jesus Course on our website. Please, please do go to our website and check those things out. If you are the person who loves to be doing the stuff, who loves the action stuff, but struggles with this prayer and retreat thing. You don't need to be ashamed or feel guilty about that. We all have our strengths. We are all wired differently. But don't use how you're wired or what your personality is as as an excuse for that time of personal prayer and refueling with the Lord. You will run out of fuel for all that action that you love. Intimacy or friendship with Jesus is something that grows and develops over time. It is a journey we go on rather than a destination that we arrive at. Our practices of prayer and personal worship don't stay the same over a lifetime. We continue to grow, just like human friendships grow and evolve over time. I remember when I first started the practice of silent prayer, two minutes of silence felt like two hours or 200 hours even. It was so hard. And it's not that it's super easy now, but it's definitely easier, and I definitely know the fruit of this type of prayer is good, because over time I can see the benefit of it. And I hope those I do life with can see the benefit of that too. I know that for many of us, this is really, really hard, and what we do is beat ourselves up. We feel guilty that we aren't prioritizing the hidden place of prayer and worship. But guilt is a terrible motivator. In fact, guilt is like the brakes in your car. You might have your engine on and running, but if you've still got your handbrake on, you're not gonna get very far, you get stuck. That's what guilt does to us. So right now, I would love to pray for anyone who feels stuck in this before we move on in our message. So Jesus, would you ignite light of fire in our personal times of prayer and worship and for anyone who is watching this i just pray right now that you would help them to get unstuck give us creative ways of building prayer into our everyday life and for anyone who's stuck right now would you help them get unstuck you're the best leader and teacher around and we trust that you can do that And for our community right now, anywhere that we as a community are stuck, I pray that you would help us to grow in our life of prayer and intimacy with you. Amen. Now, for some of us, the issue is not withdrawing. Maybe we've got that bit down. Maybe we love that solitary place of prayer. For some of us, Coming out of that place is what we struggle with, actually engaging with people, doing the stuff, stepping into our purpose. Perhaps this fills us with anxiety, or maybe we just feel apathetic about it. The pandemic has absolutely just pulled the rug right out from under us in terms of our calling and our purpose. It has shaken our confidence and our courage. We felt powerless at the mercy of all the lockdowns and the restrictions and every manner of limitation on our lives. Our work and our purpose for being on this earth has been so challenged. It seems to me that this would very, very much play into the hand of the enemy to disempower to discourage and to disillusion so many people in the church. But let's notice something in this passage. Jesus withdraws in prayer so that he can re-engage. And that is also the same for us. Withdrawing to pray isn't just about me and making my life better, although it certainly will do that as well, perhaps depending on your understanding of what the word better means. But it is possible to spend time in prayer and to completely miss the point. It is possible to make my prayer all about me. In our culture, we are obsessed with self-fulfillment and our own actualization. We worship the self. Prayer is not about feeding that, it's about healing that. When Jesus prays, He discerns the Father's business and specifically He discerns His part in it, His assignment, in His Father's business. It's the same for me, and it's the same for you. In prayer, I learn to lay down my agenda, and I learn to take up the Father's agenda, and I'm empowered to do the stuff He is asking me to do. In this passage, We see the crowds with their needs and their agendas, the disciples who desperately come looking for Jesus. They even interrupt His prayer. They find Him in the wilderness. They're so desperate to find Him. And so it is with us. We have a million things shouting for our attention. And it's through prayer that we get clarity about what is the Father's business. I've been trying to do this in my prayer journal recently. How I've done it is I've made three columns. And I've written down my father's agenda, my agenda, people's agenda. It's early days as I've only just started doing this but it's already helping me wrestle with God what is it you are asking me to do today and maybe I still need to do the washing and you know collect kids from school or whatever it is that I need to do but there might be something else maybe I need to phone someone maybe I need to make a meal for someone and it's helped me to remember to ask Him, because sometimes we just forget to ask. Are we asking our Father what He's doing? Because if He's doing it and He's inviting us into it, He will empower us. He will give us His power. Think about that. He gives us His power. The Maker of heaven and earth shares His power with us. As we move through the Gospel of Mark, we'll see Jesus share his power with this motley crew of disciples. He sends them out to do the stuff, and he then empowers them to actually do that stuff. I know that part of my problem with power really boils down to the following three things. First is, I struggle to believe that God actually wants to share his power with little old me. Secondly, I like doing things in my own strength. It makes me feel really good. Thirdly, I am skeptical about power, full stop, due to all the abuses of power that we have seen, even in the church. Can you relate to any of those? Maybe you have other reasons why you are reluctant or skeptical. But my skepticism and my insecurity is challenged by Jesus. We see here how Jesus is trying to avoid a celebrity status. He's not trying to negotiate his way to fame. To stay, He's trying to stay out of fame. He's trying to stay away from the limelight. He spends his time in the little towns and villages with lepers and misfits. He shares his power with ordinary people. He lays down his life for his friends. Some of you have been around our former pastor, Steve Nicholson. He and his wife, Cindy, were here actually just a couple of months ago. He was the first Christian leader that I saw share his power with women, with people of all ethnic backgrounds and races, whose church was beautifully diverse. He was the first pastor I met that I thought, wow, he's maybe not building his own empire actually look like? Looks like he's trying to build the kingdom of God here. If you were around him when he was here with us in Belfast in April, you'll have experienced that he also sees a lot of power to heal and to set people free. When he prays for people, stuff happens. Steve seems to know how to do the stuff. He's not charismatic in the celebrity leader sort of way. He's not flashy or cool. He doesn't have a massive following on social media. But what he does have is real power. Power to do the stuff of the kingdom. We are in a moment in the Western church where people are leaving the church in their droves. People are fed up of celebrity culture and abuses of power. There are documentaries being made about megachurches that are harrowing to watch. There are alignments between church and political power, particularly in America, but also here, that are at best confusing and at worst dangerous. But the question I want to put to us as a church is this. Church, where do we get our power from? Do we get it from self-reliance? from power and position, from the size of our church, from the numbers of likes and followers, from our political affiliations. No, that is not where our power comes from. Jesus demonstrates this so clearly. Again and again we will see him resist the systems of power and religious authority of his day. His power is found in prayer and obedience to his heavenly Father. He doesn't need a political insurrection to advance the kingdom of heaven. Belfast City Vineyard we might be a small church in the scheme of things. We have a building now which is absolutely marvelous and we're going to make it look rather lovely as well and really functional for mission in this city. But we are not building an empire here. But if we believe that we have a mission and that there are things the Father wants us to do, things he wants to do in us and through us, then we need to get ready for and expect that we will see his power. Power to see people healed and set free. Power for lives to be changed. For people to be rescued from the grip of darkness. Power to do the stuff. And what if this power wasn't just for the pastors? What if it was for every follower of Jesus? We'll see the way the disciples get on, how many times they fail, and yet Jesus chooses to empower them, fishermen and tax collectors, ordinary people. We are just called, we are given power, we are empowered. We are empowered for the ordinary stuff of life, but we are also empowered for the extraordinary, the supernatural. Are you trying to get through life without any supernatural power? Are you running off your own power, your own position, your own financial security, your own gifting or education? Whether we are reaching for the miracle or just trying to get through the day, whose power are we running on? And the power that we're talking about here is not an abstract power. It's not a cosmic force or an atmosphere. This power has a source. The source is a loving and generous God. He is the maker of heaven and earth. His power is good because He is good. His power is love because He is love. His power brings justice because He is just. By His power, His rule and reign, all things will be made new again. This is the power we access in prayer. It's not a magic formula or a silver bullet to solve our problems. It is an invitation to partner with Him as He makes all things new. We see this so poignantly in the story of the leper. Jesus is not just a healer, he is a compassionate healer. He does not just stand at a distance, but he touches this man. We too are called to be compassionate healers, to partner with our Heavenly Father in his kingdom. What might this look like in your life? It probably looks like getting your hands dirty. Even this week in Storehouse, I was here, just happened to be here, and The team went out to help someone who had fallen and was lying in a pool of blood. They were getting more than just their hands dirty. What else might it look like? It looks like your schedule has room for people, and what God is doing with people. It probably looks like praying for someone or inviting someone around for dinner. This will probably look like a combination of planning it out and into your life, making room for it in your schedule, but also being willing to respond in the moment to what the Father is putting in front of you and trusting that if He's putting it in front of you, He's going to give you the power to go with it. There's no point in asking for the power if we're not going to use it. This week, a friend of mine popped around with her toddler. My kids are older now, so I love getting to spend some time with little ones. I asked the little guy, what are you and mommy going to go do next? And he said, going to the shop. Well, it occurred to me that he was going to the shop because that's what his mommy's business was that day. He was just going where she went. And I was struck again by this utter dependence. It wasn't up to him. And it made me wonder what it would look like for me to be completely dependent on my Heavenly Father. That's what happens in prayer. I learn to be dependent, not on my own power, but on His. I'd love to pray for us to close. First of all, we say sorry for operating in and depending on our own strength, our own power. And I pray right now for a revelation of the grace, of the generous gift of not only your presence, Heavenly Father, but also your power, and your purpose for our lives. We don't earn it, we don't deserve it, but you give it generously. And we don't need to be strong, because we can tap into your strength. In our weakness, you are strong. So I pray would you empower your church to do your business, to do the stuff that you have made us, created us for on this earth. I pray that you would give us vision to partner with you in your kingdom and to partner with you as you are making all things new. What an honor and a privilege it is. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For all the latest information about what's happening in the life of our church, Or if you have any questions or comments, head over to BelfastCityVineyard.com